I know I don't need to tell you that the GDPR is two years old. After all, you probably went out to celebrate, sitting outside on a picnic blanket in groups no larger than six, exchanging precious stories of how the regulation has changed your life, the forms you are now required to fill, the website banners that now drew your attention, all before toasting to its brilliance. Yes, things did indeed get that bad. However, there may have been some of you sitting in a corner asking yourself, what has the GDPR ever done for me? And you're not alone in asking that question. I asked it too. My guest today, Gal Ringel, CEO of tech startup Say Mine, also asked it. But he decided to become an answer to that question, developing an online app to bring the rights to the people. Thanks for joining me, Gal. I was wondering, in this second year of the GDPR, how do you assess the impact of the regulation? So first, I'm really excited about the GDPR because I think that um, it defined uh, consumer data as an asset for the first time in the internet history and let us, the consumer, to be more knowledgeable uh, about our data and have powerful rights uh, about it, but also to take action, right? So, so I think it's a big success. Uh, and second, uh, it makes companies more responsible uh, and accountable for our own data online. So companies think twice before they collect data or before they make any use of it, which ultimately respect our users, uh, our privacy online. So is it a success? Yes, very much. From our perspective, it provides people the ability to take ownership of their personal data online. And just to share something uh, internally, from our company perspective, uh, we already facilitated over a million deletion requests worldwide, which is uh, probably 90% uh, of all the deletion requests worldwide. And we so far, we see 60% completion rate. So we know that we empowered a lot of people to be safer online and control their data um, thanks to the GDPR. Um, and more importantly, we, we can see in many other new geographies the GDPR that is being copied, right? So um, LGPD in Brazil, CCPA in the US, PIPEDA in Canada, OAIC in Australia, DPDA in, uh, DPDA in Singapore. So it's spreading worldwide, which is excellent. Um, the GDPR has been quite a template, hasn't it, for a lot of the different models. but. Do you think that the different models have come up to that same standard or is GDPR still the gold standard? I think the GDPR is still the gold standard. I think it's also the, strict, uh, among, the stricter among all of the other privacy regulations. But I think all the other regulations have copied the essence of it, like the, the basic principles. And each one of them uh, changed that according to here, their geography. But in, in general, it's all the same. So. I think it's a big success for the entire world because I think that in the first year of the GDPR, it was questionable whether it's here to stay. And I think that two years after the GDPR and having seen all the other new privacy regulations, I think that it's clear that the GDPR is, is not only here to stay, is that it's being copied worldwide and it's a gold standard, as you mentioned. But do you think it's really forcing big companies in particular we're thinking about big tech companies. Do you think it's forcing a change in mindset towards thinking of data in a different way? Or, I mean, the amount of fines is still sort of 
35 million for H&M in the last couple of days, 50 million for Google last year. Is that enough deterrence, do you think? So obviously it's not enough, but I think it's a good start. I think that, you know, privacy, it's all about your brand perspective. So yes, you can have a few fines, right? And the fines can be in some cases really low, but at, um, at the end of the journey, it's your brand perspective. And consumers worldwide understand that if companies values, uh, value their data and privacy, that would gain them a lot of trust and credibility within their customers. So I think that companies that understand that privacy is a brand issue, is a brand, is, is a brand um, like from a brand perspective, they need to deal with it, they would gain a lot of points in the market. So I think that the fines should, uh, you know, uh, be more, let's say, uh, high in some cases. And I think that the enforcement obviously has to be much more bigger and extensive, but I think it's a, it's a good start. Cool. And in terms of your idea, your company, same mine, obviously, how do you feel like that contributes to, do you see yourself as enforcing the GDPR or do you see yourself as um, helping people understand it or make use of it? Or what, what's your vision for contributing to that? So maybe let me share the story behind mine and how we started uh, the company because uh, it's crucial to answer this question. So we are three co-founders um, and when we sat together, uh, by the way, the three of us come from a cybersecurity uh, background and consumer background. So when we sat together to think what problem we, we want to solve, we quickly realized that the three of us really understand personal data. And, and, and data privacy and how, uh, and we dealt with that through our entire career in many different angles. Uh, and the flip side of it, we truly know how personal data is uh, valuable and can be used against us in many different ways. And I think that at the end of 2017, we saw that the GDPR is, you know, uh, was just being legislated. And when we uh, dig into it, we knew that um, regulations is hardly uh, used by consumer and in most cases is very complex and hard. So we knew that without the proper technology that would take that amazing regulation and make it accessible to everyone, no one would really uh, use that. And by the way, we went all around Europe at uh, early of uh, at the mid 2018, asking people whether they heard about the GDPR and whether they exercise uh, exercise their uh, rights. And the majority of them did hear about the GDPR, but didn't do anything about it. So, so your, you know, role is to really make consumers aware of their rights under the GDPR, sort of bring it home to us almost. Correct. So we, we basically empowered the regulator. We, we took all of the privacy regulations and we designed a product that first let you uh, discover your digital footprint, first to increase the awareness, to understand what companies are doing with your data, what did they collected uh, in the past, and what is your digital risk that is associated uh, to that? We're coming from the security standpoint. So, we, uh, so this is the first part. And the second part is that we help you reduce your online data exposure um, to avoid digital risks uh, in the future. It can be data breach, it can be identity theft, reputation damage, financial loss. And we do that by making privacy regulations accessible with the click of a button. So basically we allow you to exercise your right to be forgotten from any company without 
really they need to understand GDPR, CCPA, LGPD. Uh, we do it for you. So it's actually about democratization of the rights of the GDPR away from uh, perhaps sort of a top-down approach of large companies receiving fines, but yours is about allowing everyday consumers to understand and use this complex piece of legislation to uh, kind of realize their rights. Yeah, exactly. Think that um, on a, on a day-to-day, on our daily life, we use online services and we sign up to many new services, we purchase things online, right? Uh, we want to use the internet for our own benefits because uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing place. But through these relationships, we leave behind uh, tons of digital traces about us, whether it's our first name, email address, credit cards, passports, social security number, online behavior, anything. So we leave those traces behind. Um, and the sad reality is that we can't really stop for a minute and ask ourselves, how many companies ever uh, have our data uh, and to see that exact list. So we started with that understanding, right? To, uh, we call it to, to build your digital footprint, to show you for the first time, to make it tangible for the first time. Uh, and as you mentioned uh, at the beginning, you were surprised to see that list of companies, right? Uh, I think that some of our big uh, advantages is that we go back in time and we can find a lot of data that you left behind. For example, I discovered my hotels for my honeymoon five years ago. Um, and you know, uh, all the e-commerce shop that I did during uh, Cyber Monday 10 years ago. So um, that understanding of where is my data, this is the first thing that we wanted to solve. And obviously the second thing is to do something about it, to take action. Uh, we even call it uh, a data detox. So mine will help you just leave your data only where you need it. And it keeps changing all the time. Uh, by the way, we discovered that the average footprint consists of 350 companies. It's, it's insane. And, uh, and, 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 and not only that, that number keeps growing with eight new companies a month, which means that our footprint is, is highly dynamic. And, and, and even now during COVID, we did a, a long, uh, a really big research and we discovered that, uh, and it was also published on Business Insider, and we discovered that the, since COVID started, since March 1st, our digital footprint grew by 55%, which is massive. And, and, and the reason is that we were all locked up for either between two months to four months, and we had to move our entire offline life into online. So to purchase groceries, to purchase product, to do anything online, which means that we, uh, we even increased the problem even more because we had to share our data with many new companies that we, that we didn't do that uh, before. So I think that these days the problem is uh, the concern about our data, and it's not just about our privacy, it's the concern about our data is even bigger. Okay, so in this particular moment of coronavirus, you're saying that this issue of data ownership versus data privacy is something that's actually getting more important to us as consumers. But what does it look like to take action? So you talk about taking action, but what actions do do, do you sort of propose? So the, the first action that we have right now within the product 
is your ability to exercise your right to be forgotten. So again, as a reminder, the value of using mind for you as a user is to reduce your online data exposure to avoid digital risks. So um, the fact that we allow you to, after you see your digital footprint, you see the list, you understand, we allow you to choose every company that you want and send a deletion request, send a formal right to be forgotten request for the company, and we do it for you automatically. Uh, and in that sense, over time, you can start reducing the amount of data that you leave out there. So to narrow your digital footprint to only the places that you are um, using, you trust, or, or you can't live without. But all the rest, you can definitely uh, uh, eliminate and, and, and by the way, to date, we know that after having 100,000 users in just eight months, we know that we are able to help you reduce your data exposure by 60%, which is, which is massive. Um, and, and, and again, the problem is that every day there is a new data breach, every day there's a new privacy scandal, and by reducing your online exposure, you can avoid those data breaches uh, before they happen. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but four months ago, EasyJet got breached. We were able to um, save um, 1,500 users from that data breach because they used mine to delete their EasyJet account before the breach happened. So another thing we, we are doing within the app, we give you recommendations on services that we think you should delete uh, because they either put you at risk or you're not using them anymore. So those users from the EasyJet example, they haven't used their EasyJet account for many years. So why, why letting EasyJet keep their passport for no reason, right? You can always sign up and, and purchase your flight ticket again. But so the use of the subject access request is somewhat controversial, isn't it? Because since the GDPR has come into force, a lot of, in particular, small companies or companies that don't have the manpower have been sort of overwhelmed by these requests. But are you concerned about that? Or is, some, is that something that you actually, you want, you want that to happen to encourage a change in mindset, perhaps, towards data? I think that, um, obviously, small businesses struggle to be compliant, but it's the same as cybersecurity and security in general, right? So SMBs don't have big budgets. Uh, like the big companies, and therefore it's true to any problem they face. Um, I think that the, um, those, the, those regulations are here to shift the market from the big companies all the way to the small ones. I think that, again, GDPR is all about making companies be accountable for our data and be more responsible. I don't see any difference between the big one and the small one. I think that everyone should act the same. And by the way, to help those small companies, uh, we at Mine, we understand that. And lately we started to help them uh, ease the entire privacy operation and streamline all the requests, all the data subject requests directly to one single place so they can manage that. So. We, we did understand that it's a problem and we are trying to help companies uh, as well. So we think that as a consumer company, we are here to help uh, obviously consumers, but we discovered that we can help companies as well and create a bridge between the two and to, to help the entire market come up with uh, a new privacy standard, a new data standard. And obviously 
in that process of working both with consumers and businesses, you're going to be collecting a lot of data yourself, right? And so how does that work? Are you just another intermediary that we give our data to or um, what's the difference there? What's, that, what's the trust relationship there? One of our major values as a company is that we committed to collect the bare minimum of personal data. It's not our business model. We don't need your data. And this is why we worked really hard to develop the technology that is non-intrusive um, and that will help us do that without collecting your sensitive data. So, um, for example, when we build your digital footprint, yes, we do ask for an email access, but we, uh, the way we um, build your digital footprint is by only looking at the email subject lines. We never go into the content of your emails because we don't want to see your personal stuff. And uh, the way we look at the subject lines is by sophisticated uh, machine learning and NLP. And we do everything in memory. So in fact, we don't have any trace of your emails nowhere because we don't want to, we don't want to know you as a user and we don't want to put you at risk. So in that sense, we committed to be highly transparent about how we do stuff. And we always put our data and users' uh, privacy in the top priority. So we almost have no data. And how can you ensure the accuracy of subject lines? How, what's, how, what's the methodology behind that? So it took us a year, but we trained uh, machine learning and NLP uh, models with uh, 100K emails that we manually tagged. Uh, so we, we tagged 100K um, subject lines in 10 different languages that can identify different interactions that you are doing with the company. So basically, just based on the subject line, we can know whether it was a sign up, a purchase, a booking, previous employer, etc. So we, we understand the interaction through that. So we actually had to go and manually tag a lot of emails to uh, come up to that. And now that we have that model, uh, we actually pass the scale problem and we can identify any email in any language. Now, since we are not going into your uh, content of your emails, the way we know what data you gave to the companies without knowing what is your data, I mean, what is your passport number, what is your date of birth, we, we developed another technology, uh, thanks to also machine learning and NLP, and we go directly to the company's privacy policies. We, we download that and we analyze that to learn what is their uh, data structure, what data they collect, what do they do with that, whether they share, they sell it. And this is how we merge both uh, technologies. So in fact, we know what type of data you are giving to the companies without knowing your, your actual data. Right, yeah. So, so when someone accesses your app and they put their email address in, then that gives, provides them a list of websites that hold data about them and you have analyzed that from the email subject line combined with the privacy policy on the website. Okay, that makes sense. And so moving forward, obviously you're, you're not a charity, right? You're a business. So what's your plan in terms of, of making money from that? So this is really important. So um, our business model would be quite simple. Uh, we're going to come up with a monthly subscription for consumers. Uh, a few dollars per month uh, that would fit every pocket. Um, 
because we believe that is something that um, we all need to be on top of our data all the time. Uh, so the product that we designed supposed to be, uh, mine is a smart data assistant. So basically we will be there to uh, do all the hard job for you. So later on when we uh, apply that business model, we would introduce new features such as taking the entire process uh, from you. So today we allow you to send a formal request, but you need to continue the communication with the company yourself. But for example, in the future, we, we will do everything uh, automatically for you. But obviously we will charge money for, uh, for the product because we don't have any data, right? So we, even if we wanted to sell our user data, we can't really do that because we don't have it. The um, firm is a rebellion against the freemium model of doing data business where everything is supposedly free, but in reality, data is being collected and that's the true sort of uh, sort of resource there yeah exactly i think that we all know the phrase that you know when a product is free then in most cases you are the product right, right. Uh, so this is why we decided that as a company even if we give our product for free for now we still don't collect user data so uh, even if we go on a freemium model just to let you experience the product before you pay us for the premium offering, we still won't going to collect any data. So um, yes, it would be, so we're going to charge uh, some sort of a small monthly subscription fee. And so in terms of uh, moving towards data ownership, um, I guess I'm taking a more broad, a broader look here. If you look across the Atlantic at Andrew Yang and his ideas of a data dividend, is that something that you think could be useful in inspiring people to want to, to want to use apps like yours? Or are you just going to be marketing towards people that are concerned about privacy rather than those that want to make money from their data? It's a very good uh, question. It's, uh, it's a large debate right now. I think that uh, from my perspective, I don't think it specifically has to be tied to consumers making money uh, over their data. Uh, again, we founded Mind from the security side, be, being able to be safer online and making sure that our data won't be used against us. So uh, I think that um, and, and we even tested that. I think that when we started the company, we obviously the first thing that comes to mind is, hey, let, uh, let us have consumers monetize your data, right? But uh, we surveyed uh, a lot of consumers worldwide and we discovered that uh, people want to reduce the amount of data that is being collected about them. They don't want to sell their data because selling their data would increase their data exposure. Uh, even if you do that anonymized, there are, and I'm coming from a cybersecurity perspective, there are so many ways where you can combine anonymous, uh, anonymized data to uh, real identified uh, data. So, you know, we surveyed a lot of people and at the end of the day, when you need to, um, when you need to decide whether you want to sell your data, most of the consumer um, don't want. So it's a good, I think it's a good marketing um, campaign right now. And, and by the way, there, in the competitive landscape, in the privacy space, there are companies that offer you to sell your data. 
but so far from what we are, uh, were able to see, uh, a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to do the opposite. Um, and I think we, we all should remember the, the, the following, that um, our data individually doesn't worth a lot of money. Uh, we even calculated how much our personal data can worth on an annual basis. Can you, can you guess if you had to, let's say you can sell all your, uh, all your data, how much money do you think you can, you can gain annually? Well, um, Andrew Yang says about $1,000 a month, right? So it's even less. It's, it's, uh, we went to the dark web and you know your credit card worth $1. Your passport worth, uh, I th I, your DNA, sorry, worth uh, $50. So if you gather all of that data points, yes, it's a few hundreds, it's a few hundred dollars uh, a year, but is it worth selling your data to, to get that? I mean, um, companies like Facebook um, are doing a lot of, uh, are gaining a lot of money on, on data because it's aggregated to billions of data points together. So only when you reach that critical mass, you can actually leverage that as a business model. But as far as we see right now, and, and you know, uh, even after the, la the, the last movie of Netflix, The Social Dilemma, I don't think that people want to, you know, to contribute their data and to and to make money out of it, but uh, let's see how the how the market uh, evolves. Uh, we we decided to take the security angle to let you be on top of your data to to become safer to make sure that your data won't be used against you. Uh, you know, even in the case of Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. So we decided to start with that and let's see how the market evolves. We think that the security side is even more concerning that. Um, earning a few bucks on, on our data. And do you think that, in fact, if people take up your service and, and take action using subject access requests on a large level, that's actually going to have a huge impact on search advertising and sort of big emerging industries. But is that, is that a good thing, that these emerging industries should actually have to rethink and, and be sort of removing people's data? Or... Is it good that there's a lot of data in the in the public or private domain that can be used for search marketing and other sort of commercial uses? I think that it really depends on the um, on the use case. Let me let me share two examples. Um, if I want to delete an account, let's say from any low cost airline that I'm not using uh, anymore, so they already lost me as a customer. They can try to target me. They can try to send me marketing uh, emails, but if I want to delete my account, that means that they already lost me. So they, they don't have anything to do with my data, right? It doesn't really help them because I'm not going to use their services again in the near future. So deleting your data from unused services, uh, yes, it, uh, it, it makes some difference, but the, the company stopped using that uh, because um, the, the, um, because you're not a customer anymore. Now, another use case is that I'm totally in favor of using data from, uh, for science use cases. For example, uh, you know, uh, com uh, computer vision uh, is always something that 
uh, is in the uh, news in terms of you know data and privacy but some computer vision uh, computer vision algorithms can really help us in our day-to-day -day, right so I think it's in terms of our data it's all about how you are using that how companies uh, are using that I'm not saying that we should delete all our data and uh, that's it no um, by the way uh, at, at our company we encourage you to use the internet we think that stop sharing is not it's not a solution it's just avoiding the problem I think that uh, we, we all need to manage our data and just leave it where we need it right um, so it really depends on the use case and for you as a as a private company to take on this role of encouraging people to use data in a better way or to rethink the way that they're using it is that something that you think you should be doing as a private company or do you think that you're kind of filling the space that a public organization or a government body should be doing it's a good question i think that um you know the history shows that public organizations in most cases don't have the budgets to uh to do that and you can see the same as as the actual regulators I think that uh, there are some news articles saying that they don't do much enforcement and they don't have a lot of budget. So uh, it's true, but I think they're doing an amazing job with what they have. And obviously over time, yes, budgets needs to grow and more enforcement uh, has to be done. But in general, I think that in, in most of the problems worldwide, usually private companies have more capital to actually uh, solve the problem uh, and again uh, we are here to help both consumers and companies so another business model for us can be work with the companies to ease the process and to close those requests much faster so I don't know if it's uh, just if, if the solution can only come from the public sector I think that it's definitely a combination right right and I actually just as you were saying that I had a question about the previous point which was so in terms of asking people to change their minds about data ownership, do you have a strategy for how to mainstream that idea? Or is it something that you think will only be of use to, to people that are concerned? I mean, do you think people are concerned about privacy in general to the extent that they would download the app? Or has it really gone mainstream, that concern yet, especially among the younger generation? So... It's a very good question. I think that uh, everything that is happening worldwide help us as a company to increase the awareness. So let's take a few uh, recent examples, right? So uh, Netflix already done two movies about that subject, right? The first one was The Great Hack about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. And the end goal of the movie, and it was before the GDPR, so the end goal of the movie was data ownership because it tried the, the main the main character tried to get his data from Cambridge uh, and then to actually delete it and, and he couldn't do that. So so this is one. The, the second movie, the the social dilemma, also increases the awareness. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen's speech about the social media, also and and uh, the other thing is that I think that if you ask me two years ago. Uh, or three years ago, it was privacy wasn't really a mainstream concern. But I think what happened uh, uh, since two years ago, since the, the GDPR started, is that, uh, and also because that every day there's a new data breach and a new privacy scandal, I think that people starting 
the mainstream people uh, starting to feel that on their flesh. Uh, and uh, everywhere you go, you can see that privacy became a mainstream, a mainstream concern and a mainstream topic. So I think that something happened two years ago, and I think that it's only going to get better. And I think that 2021 is going to be the year that privacy is definitely going to go all the way mainstream. And, right. and as I mentioned earlier, we identified that uh, at the beginning, and this is why we, th we, we wanted to build a product that would be very easy and simple to use to, to fit the mainstream people. If we would uh, build a complicated product, we would, uh, it would only fit to a specific type of people, and we wanted to make it accessible to, uh, to millions. So people, you know, people, uh, I think that the problem with privacy is that people accepted the fact that it's already lost, and I agree, in most of the cases, yeah, it's already lost, because companies are dictating the terms, and we all have to click, I agree, it's a binary question, it's either we share or either we don't. But I think that privacy has evolved into data ownership. This is what we're doing because um, I think that it's all about the accessibility to your data, having the, the ability to understand who has it, where is it, uh, and then to have the choice, the choice to take an action. And we give you the choice. I mean, we mine don't, don't um, decide for you. We show you all the, the, all the information objectively we don't say this is a bad company, this is a good company. We show you all the data objectively, and you can take a, a decision. You can have the choice to decide what you want to do. It's, it's because it's an individual thing. Uh, what is good for you in terms of your privacy, it's, it's not good for me. And it's all about our data. So I think that uh, it's all about accessibility and choice. This is ownership. And this is why we believe that it's, it's a data problem. It's not a privacy problem. Right, so data privacy is actually over now and we're into a new phase, you say, of how we own it and how we learn about our control over it. Definitely, and if you think about it, privacy solutions were always based on putting fences around us, right? Uh, preventing for our data to be shared with others and this is why I think that stop sharing is, 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 is not the solution, it's only avoiding the, the problem and actually today, with GDPR and other privacy regulations in, is, uh, in place, we can live without fences because we can share our data and we can take it back. Do you think there's any space for a data ownership model in jurisdictions where there aren't quite so strict regulations as with the GDPR or with California's regime? It's also a good uh, issue. I mean, let's take Israel, for example. Uh, so our company is based in Israel. Uh, Israel privacy laws are very old, like from 1970 something. And um, we don't have anything close to a GDPR. So for example, for our Israeli users, uh, we can't promise that uh, companies would uh, reply uh, we can't promise that companies would proceed with the process because in some cases they are not obligated. Uh, and same to other, uh, other geographies uh, worldwide. But I think that going back to one of our original points, I think that when companies understand this privacy regulations and privacy in general is a brand, uh, is, is, is a brand issue, is a, is a user experience issue, 
and they would respect that regardless the region regardless the privacy regulation they would they would gain so much from the trust perspective and from the credibility of their customers and that would uh, mean a lot I mean uh, and you can see that in uh, Microsoft for example they declared when the CCPA in California were introduced early this year Microsoft declared that they support CCPA all across the US I mean if as, as a company if you already comply to some regulation why why wouldn't you do that to any other geography it's it's pr practically the same so obviously large companies have have, uh, have more budgets to deal with that but then but but in the end of the day the regulations are quite the same the, the only thing that is different is you know data retention and some exceptions where companies are obligated by law to keep some of the data so again i think it's a brand perspective when companies would understand that it would worth for them to value their users privacy they would get so many points from their customers and it can actually you know reduce churn it can actually leave more customers in because customers would know that hey this is a good company they value my privacy they they are not doing anything else with my data so going forward and looking at what the gdpr might encounter in the future and obviously blockchain and distributed ledger technology is a huge emerging technology and that poses issues for your business model and for the gdpr's right to be forgotten doesn't it because of the fact that in a blockchain data is forever captured isn't it so i think blockchain is uh, in terms of a technology i think that blockchain is actually the right solution to solve the privacy issue from the ground up, right? Because it's distributed, it's not centralized, uh, and, but, but that change can take years because um, you need both sides of the ecosystem, both the users and the companies to play with, right? Uh, and, and I don't know how much companies values blockchain or want to invest their resources in using blockchain. So I think it would take years, at least 10, in my perspective, to, you know, change, to restructure the entire internet to, to uh, work based on a, on a blockchain. And again, I think it's the right way to go, but it would take uh, so many years to achieve that on a global scale. This is why, and we thought about it when we started, but then we realized that we need to give a solution that works today. Uh, that that can that can solve the pain to a lot of people today, not in in, in ten years. Uh, but even though, if you know, um, companies would use blockchain, that means that the data would be distributed and it can help avoiding data breaches. For example, in you know centralizing all the data in one place, so it can it can uh, it can help in um, you know protecting your data much more. Uh, in, in a much more effective way, but they would still have to delete your data when you ask. So even if it would work on top of blockchain, companies need to find out how they, uh, how they delete it eventually. So I think blockchain has a different objectives, how to solve it from the ground up in terms of the infrastructure, but I think it would take at least 10 years. Right, right. And there's been a lot of discussion 
about whether the GDPR is ever going to be compatible with with blockchain. In particular, the GDPR requires accountability. It's all about accountability and liability and in uh, disputes. And blockchain is all about decentralizing that and actually putting the hands, the ownership of the data into the user's hands, right? And um, do you think that GDPR is even going to survive if, if blockchain comes comes to be? It's a really good question. Honestly, I don't know. I think that if I need to guess, I think that um, the GDPR would have to change to, you know, to adapt to a new blockchain reality. But I think that, you know, blockchain as a technology is not solved uh, yet. If you So blockchain was a big buzzword uh, two or three years ago. And since then, if you look around, um, I think that you can find really small amount of companies that actually took blockchain and found a really good use out of it. Yeah. So it's that technology is still, you know, in a, in a place where it needs to prove its um, its need. So uh, so, but but you are definitely right. Once um, companies would use blockchain to manage online data. Obviously, privacy regulations would have to change and adapt to that, and it would be interesting to see how would they do that because it's uh, it's quite it's quite change. You're right. I mean, it seems like at once it's hugely advancing the objectives of data ownership because it's putting so much more power into the hands of the the consumer, but at the same time, many of the key principles that we've sort of learned from the GDPR in terms of privacy, such as accountability, such as erasure, it poses a lot of these sort of sort of different challenges. So I I agree. It's definitely the next big kind of revolution, if it comes to be, as you as you are rightly saying. Excellent. Thank you so much, Carl. Thank you. Thank you for having me.